0: I acknowledge with gratitude that I'm a settler who lives and creates on the unceded traditional territories of the Semiahmoo First Nation, which lies within the shared territories of the Kwantlen, Katsi, and Stolo First Nations. We are going to be answering listener questions, and as my quote of the day says, today I will give it my sum. I have a very special friend, who I hope to meet in person one day, once the borders between Canada and the USA are open again. We met through the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Groups. Mayor Saul and I meet weekly, and we help each other with accountability, support, and having some fun with our ADHD. Welcome to the ADHD-friendly lifestyle. I'm your host, Moira Maben, a woman, mom, educator, and I have late diagnosed ADHD. This is the place to practice getting rid of guilt or shame and spending more time with our strengths and passions. There are things that I wish I had known about my ADHD sooner that are allowing me to make different decisions to make my life more ADHD-friendly, and I want to share them with you. For show notes, including next steps, resources, and articles on this topic, visit ADHDFriendlyLifestyle.com. So we're back today with my friend Marisol Hall. Hi. Hi. Thanks for coming back. Um, So we're doing another episode of listener questions and answers. And today we're going to jump right in, get ourselves going. And we have some questions related to ADHD in women and girls. And so the first one is, how can we help to normalize ADHD in women and girls? And then the follow-up is, how to get providers and the general public to be more aware of the various types of ADHD so that girls have avenues for understanding themselves earlier in life?
1: That's a huge question. I think it's a huge question, but I think it also has, I don't want to say a simple answer that kind of, that kind of downplays it. But for me, the answer to that is exactly what we're doing, yeah. which is talking about it. For me, I've taken on a role of being an advocate for people to hear ADHD and attaching it to, to me. And so they see that I'm, you know, a biology professor. Um, you know, I'm a 45 year old woman. I have a house and that kind of thing. And attaching that label to me, mm-hmm.
0: seeing
1: that it's not just little boys and, you know, running around, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I try not to be <laughs> obnoxious about it. But if it comes up, I will mention that I have ADHD. Um, I'll casually mention in conversation, um, that maybe today was a hard day because my executive function was low. And so I kind of try to use the terminology or, or kind of sprinkle in some of that information into regular conversation. And that way they get a sense for me, like, "Hey, does she have ADHD? Or or I may just say it um, so that it does become more normal. I, in other words, I talk about it like it's normal.
0: Yeah. and I, And I think like, Definitely, that's one of the main reasons why I'm having the podcast and why I am just so open about what my struggles are and what my thinking is. And But I also, coming from an education background, I spent a number of years working in helping to normalize and demystify autism. And in doing that, one of the big things that we were trying to do was help kids and adults Understand behaviors that they didn't understand and how they actually were similar to things that we do, and yes, that's true with ADHD, but I think when people who don't have ADHD have a conversation of like everybody's struggling as a parent, things are really hard, but the the reality is is that it is harder and it is harder. In every aspect of your life, it's, it's pretty consistent when you're feeling that struggle and that overwhelm. Yeah. And so I think as women and as girls, there's still that enculturation of trying to fit in, trying to have yourself fit. And so I'm, I'm learning a lot from listening to the experiences in gender diversity, in neurodiversity, in um, any marginalized group, Right. Anytime when you're sort of something other than the, the expectation. And so the more that we can have normal be a, a whole wide variety of things, normal being you and what those expectations are of people. But I think the talking about it is the number one thing. Yeah. Jessica McCabe with How to ADHD, her videos are so good for that, yeah. especially for girls, right, for helping them understand um, and being able to see themselves. I do know the one other thing I was going to say that's sort of a bit on the serious side. If there's any teenage girl who is being looked at for anxiety, depression, or an eating disorder, they also need to be screened for ADHD because there's a very high likelihood. And the other one that I just recently learned about, which is going to be in an upcoming episode, is it's the same issue with postpartum. Postpartum depression. When women are experiencing postpartum depression and they were screened for ADHD, I believe it was around 60%. So having that screening, um, is super important.
1: You know, that's a really excellent point. That's a great, um, link there because it it makes so much sense. And especially having, I I did not have postpartum depression. Um, I will say that there were a few kind of, you know, there were some, like anybody, there were some rough patches, right. But I can absolutely see how, um, I mean, having a baby is a huge, incredibly huge deal. Um, and then if, you already um, have difficulty, you know, just kind of organizing your life in general. And then you throw in this massively huge, um, for lack of a better word, disruption. Um, mm-hmm. It's an amazing disruption, but it's a disruption nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, that's huge. That's incredible. And then throwing in hormones, um, just the effect
0: that hormones have uh, is enormous. Yeah, because because when, when women are pregnant, their estrogen goes up, and so that helps their ADHD. And then postpartum, it drops, and so it's much more difficult. And then I had both my kids had ADHD. None of us knew we had it. So for me, one was hard, but I was doing okay. Um, but she wasn't the child that everyone wished on me. Um, you, know how, you know, for some people, they're like, oh, I hope you get a kid that's just like you. But she had real challenges with sleeping. And then my second was the child. Who um because he just never stopped and he was very tall so he could get into everything and and so the wheels were off the bus and I thought I was losing my mind. I just thought I can't I can't manage this. Yeah. And then and that's when I was treated for anxiety and depression. But the but the overwhelm never went away. It never went away, right?
1: And and I totally agree with you. So many stories um that we've heard of um, you know, one, I had one and things were kind of, it got harder, but it was okay. Mm-hmm. And it, it almost, for some reason, seems like having the second one, <laughs> like that's just kind of all of a sudden things become too much. Um, I had my first daughter and, you know, things, things were generally okay. Obviously, you know, when she an infant, um, but then as she got older, and like I, I had mentioned in the previous episode, um, by the time she was 18 months and in daycare and, that, and you know, preschool and that kind of thing, um, It was just something different. And I remember mentioning to my friend, um, she would get so mad. She would get, and and I was like, she was my first. So, you know, I didn't really have a lot of experience, but I'd seen other people's kids and stuff. Um, She would get so mad if you didn't let her do something or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I said, I remember telling my friend Shannon, I said, this, I don't think babies are supposed to get this mad. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think this is right. And Mm -hmm. she's like, well, she's, you know, she's 18 months. We'll see. And I remember it, I remember because we knew someone um, at the time, um, she had a daughter with ADHD and, but she was also diagnosed with ODD, um, oppositional defiance disorder. And I remember telling her, I said, what if she has ODD? And, and my friend was like, no, you know, that's not, you know, I wouldn't worry about that fed or whatever. And the funny thing is, um, you know, in the next year, you know, six months, one of the daycare Um, workers actually mentioned it. She said she had worked with kids with ADHD and she said, you you may want to think about ADHD. And my kid is like, you know, between 18, she's like maybe 20 months old. And I'm like, how in the world could you tell? Mm -hmm. Well, now looking back, yeah. Uh, there, there is no doubt.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing. When you, when you start to know this stuff and I, cause I had a pretty similar experience and it's important to like having kids really helped me realize how much of who we are. We arrived that way. Right. And so that, you know, that really helped me. My daughter, when she was probably around that age, starting around the age of two, She would get stuck in emotions. That's the way that we would, right? And it would typically be upset where she would get stuck. And so a lot of the, you know, typical let them go off and calm themselves down, that wasn't going to happen. She was just going to spin her wheels. And so what used to help her when she was smaller was if we held her, but then she started physically fighting against that. So we started to try and learn more and we were learning more around the ideas of attachment theory. Right? And there were some things with that that were really good, like she struggled with going to bed at night, and really, that was ADHD, but the notion of way we were talking about leaving and separation and, and stuff like that, that was helpful. Spending the amount of time that we were there prevented us from looking further. We might have found ADHD sooner. So here we are now, she's in her teens, and she's you know, she struggled a little bit, but one of the things that I remembered. Um, because what's happening to her is she's talking through something and then she sees the different perspectives, but then she comes back to where she was. And so I shared with her, you know, when you were little, you would get stuck. And this is basically just a more developmentally mature version of getting stuck. That notion of there's a lot of these things that this is just sort of our natural way that we are. We can make it harder for ourselves, or we can try and get help and support to figure it out.
1: I, I think in in kind of in pulling it back around to how do we make it more well known yeah. or advocate for girls with ADHD? Um, one, you know, the fact that we, meaning say you and I or, or people in the ADHD community with um, with girls, you know, we've been through those struggles and we've been through having to recognize it ourselves in our own kids not having probably not having the benefit of understanding that, yeah, girls have ADHD just as much as boys do. Um, we've gone through that. And so that when I see someone else struggling or I see another parent who might be questioning, um, or something like that, that if I can, yeah. you know, in, in a gentle way, cause I don't yeah. want to just barge in, but, um, be a resource. Um, if it even gently comes up like, Oh, Hey, you know, that that's happened to me or, um, to be a resource for them um, and let them know that it's okay. It's not because mm-hmm. I remember when, um, you know, when I first started thinking about maybe she really does have ADHD. At first, it was very scary to me. Um, I didn't know a whole lot about it, um, but I did know, uh, you know, the the, the very surfacey things They're like, oh my gosh, is is this going to disrupt their school? Is this going to disrupt their life and that kind of thing? Um, and it would have been nice to have somebody who had gone through mm-hmm. it and said, oh, you know what? There's some hard parts. But there's help. There's mm-hmm. things you can do. There's medication and that kind of thing. So um, anytime it comes up and just being a resource. And, mm-hmm. and actually, I've wanted to take a, a greater role in my kids' elementary school. Of course, I don't know how, yes. I don't know how to add that to my yes. plate.
0: The, like you're trying to trade it in for a bigger plate, right? They only come in one size. There's only 24 hours in the day. My dad used to say to my mom, are you going to do it between midnight and eight? As I'm doing that on, on the online group that I'm on. And it just, it made me think of one that there was a couple of days ago where someone shared all their traits and, um, you know, looking for a diagnosis for the, from the support group. And someone else said, you know, I, I do all those things, but I see them as my best parts. And so I responded that, you know, getting diagnosis and treatment didn't take away my best parts. It just, it made life less hard and I didn't have to struggle as much. So I think there there are things, just to sort of close this off as well, I recently heard um, Sari Solden, who wrote the book, uh, Women with Attention Deficit Disorder, and it came out in 1995. She had to fight her way to get that published. And people were saying it didn't exist. It really was women themselves leading the call, leading the way, saying this is an issue. We need to deal with that. Wow. And I know from when any involvement I've had at the um, international conference level that, you know, the, the handful of women who have been working in this area for 30 years, they're looking for women our age and younger to, you know, to pick up the torch because we just need to get the word out, like who we are, what we look like you know, where it's so different than how it's stereotyped. So yeah, it, it, it kind of really, it, it, unfortunately it's up to us.
1: You just gave me goosebumps. Like, honestly, um, the fact that Sarah Sullivan had to fight to get that book published, Gosh. um, cause it's an amazing book. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. If anyone hasn't read it, um, incredible book. Mm-hmm. Um, it just gave me goosebumps to think that people were just like, no, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how many people have been unheard? Yeah. And how many people struggled thinking that they're all those things, struggled thinking I'm not good enough. I, why can't I do this? Why, mm-hmm. what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking of our own daughters, um, and see now, now I'm really going to get emotional, but thinking of our own daughters, um, growing up. Through that and not understanding. And that's one of the things, um, sorry, I know you're trying to close this out, but, um, the last, the last thing is I'm so grateful for two things about my daughter's diagnosis. One, she had the, um, she had that oppositional streak. She has that, um, it was very outward. She wasn't the typical kind of girl, you know, the daydreamy, um, inattentive type. Um, and so, she, so Teachers did notice. So things were noticeable. And that's why she was diagnosed so early at six, and actually before, but we just didn't do formal diagnosis. And so I'm thankful now. I am thankful for that. Um, as well as her teacher who was who was willing and I say daring, because I know a lot of teachers are um told to kind of shy away from actually telling parents, like, hey, you know, you may want to consider something is I, I realize the liability and that kind of thing. But I thank her teacher so much for, for being daring enough to have a frank conversation with me, um, because that is just uh, it's a sad feature if we don't take up that torch um, and move it forward. So, um, so, Sari Solden and lots of other people started it, but we need to keep going. We
0: do. That. And um, I had to fight for my daughter's diagnosis at the school level. They didn't see it. There were teachers that saw it earlier, um, but she had one of the best things is she's she's in ninth grade. She has been with the same group of friends since kindergarten, and so she can lean on them. And the year that she didn't have them was the year she was diagnosed, and she was falling apart. Um, because when she missed things they would be able to tell her what she missed and when she had a hard time starting they would help her get started and and all of the and all of those things but um nobody recognized her ADHD and you know my so my son was diagnosed when he was 7 and he also had learning disabilities he wasn't able to get it through school but we were able to get him the supports that he needed right away and He's had consistent support and he is doing really, really well. You know, he's reading at grade level. He's got lots of things and he's um, going to a school for kids with learning disabilities and ADHD. And that's a really good fit for him. My daughter was 10. And so she had 10 years. Like in British Columbia, my son is entitled to an ed- individual education plan because he has learning disabilities. My daughter is entitled to nothing. It's not tracked. It's not followed. There's no support. So as parents, we've really had to say, okay, like not only did she have longer, you know, and being the first child, right, <laughs> training up the parents, but back to what you were saying, my kids' experience is completely different than mine. You know, they don't see the things that I saw as character flaws and moral failings as that at all. You know, there's some sensitivities and there there is that, but it's They know it for what it is. And so I think their experience is going to be completely different than mine for the better. So just want that for more people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we're going to switch gears here and lighten things up a little bit. What can I do when it's impossible to just start a task? I would love to know the answer to that question. (laughs) I have a right solution to that one to just start writing. Yep. Like, it could be like, I don't know what to write. I'm just going to keep going here.
1: You know, it makes me think about uh, Brendan Mahan's um, Wall of Waffle, Mm -hmm. actually. Um, Because, you know, that Wall of Waffle, and he, you know, he talks about the various ways to try to get over that wall. And to me, that's a lot about starting. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm, you know, if I'm resisting starting, am I going to Hulk smash my way through it or? Um, you know, climb over it, and that kind of thing um, mm-hmm. so the start, <laughs> um Eric Tipper starting is the hardest part the The person asks the question is, why is it so impossible to just start a task and that kind of thing. The why I think is uh pretty easy to answer because of a d h d but but really, I think they're asking about like what can I do like you said, mm-hmm. what can I do with this? I think it also comes down to what's. <laughs> And maybe this is too much analysis. Um, why are you not
0: starting? You know, I want to back it up a little bit because with the why is it impossible? Because there are lots of people who don't know that we are not motivated the same way. So when somebody else can just make themselves do it, we do not have the same chemicals in our brain. Our brains don't work that way. So we do need to use more external things to um get ourselves going and it could be rewards it could be giving yourself you know uh, either doing the thing in a nice location like tweaking some part of it to make it more palatable um or
1: the artificial urgency yeah. comes in there as well and kind of giving your if, if you don't have a deadline giving yourself a deadline or this is also where accountability comes in yeah um, so having, making yourself an artificial deadline and having somebody else help to keep you accountable to that deadline. Um, and just knowing that somebody else knows you need to finish something can give you that, that artificial urgency. Yeah.
0: Like when there were things that I wanted to do that I wasn't doing. And I, I asked this question of Eric and he gave me a really good suggestion and it was that back it up against something that does have a timeline that does, right. So if I want to do something then, um, or need to do something, then attach it to happen before the other thing so that, um, there's really no other option. Sometimes it's also that we don't know how to start the task. Sure. Or is it, or is it really a project? Is it really something that's big?
1: Yeah. Right. And that's, that was a huge thing for me in learning, um, the difference between a project and a task. Um, cause in fact, you know, talking about to-do lists, uh, recently, Recognizing that something is a project and it has multiple steps to it, you know, I would always wonder, like, why, why does my quote to do list take me so long? Well, recognizing that this item that I think is one item on my list is in fact a project, and it has multiple steps to it. Of course, it's going to take me longer than you know. I would say, oh, it'll be you know thirty minutes. Well, if it has seven steps to it, it's not going to be 30 minutes. But I want
0: it to be 30 minutes.
1: Well, yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's a lot of things I want. Yes. Um, and sadly, <laughs> <you> <laughs> usually don't get them. But um, so, yeah, but I think it's, like, it's, a good, it's a good point to think, you know, what our brain chemicals, our brain is not working the same way. We don't get the same amount of dopamine from doing the same action that someone else does. And so ways to, to deal with that.
0: And we also don't get the same level of reward. So when we actually do the thing, um, we don't get that reward feeling that other people get. And if we get it, it doesn't last as long. So there's no ability to sort of like pull from that memory of, oh yeah, when I do this, you know, when I exercise, I feel good. We don't get that same reinforcement.
1: Yeah. It doesn't imprint, you know, that whole idea of, of memory and remembering if you don't have as much of a a stronger reaction of um, reward, it's not going to, that memory is not going to last as long. Mm-hmm. It's just not as impactful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and, and that's a constant, I mean, that's a constant struggle, but there are things that we can do.
0: Yeah. And so I think this is like the reason for bringing this up is not to say, okay, it doesn't mean you don't have to do anything because I can't motivate myself. But if you're beating yourself up about it or, you know, giving yourself a hard time, cut yourself some slack there, but then how can we reduce the friction to make it easier yes, to do the thing? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, because beating yourself up is just one. Um, you're wasting time, and two, you're ma- you're really making it harder. <laughs> and we
0: always need to, more time. Oh, <laughs> save To save, um,
1: but you're also making it harder to do it again next time because, mm-hmm. in fact, that beating yourself up probably does, you know, stick a little bit longer, and so next time you're gonna you're gonna feel that shame, and it just kind of keeps compounding. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah finding the, finding the things that work to uh, motivate you, whether, and one of those things is remembering your why, mm-hmm. what, you know, why is doing this thing or whatever it is that you want to get done? Why is it important? Do I have somebody that needs something from me? Is this a step that will get me towards a bigger goal? Um, so yeah, the why can be very motivating.
0: I've got a good example of that. It's, it's not really starting a task, but it's, it's getting myself to the dinner table because, um, I don't like to stop what I'm doing to eat pretty much ever, So, and nor does the rest of my family, and so consequently, the one non-ADHD person is the cook, and then he makes food and nobody is there. So um, after years of struggle, or he wants us to come in like two seconds, and we need transition time. So I have an alarm on my watch that tells me it's a warning time of like, start to pack up what you're doing. And there's many days where I'm surprised when it goes off. I'm like, oh, what's this alarm? And what's it for? And then there's another one in 10 minutes to say like, okay, get out of the chair. And then that gives me five minutes to go to the bathroom because I wouldn't have done that either and go to the table. And I'm not doing it because I, I want to go eat dinner because I'd rather keep doing what I was doing. I'm doing it because it's important to my husband that when he's made us a meal that we come and I care for him and I, I want to follow through on my word so that's my why and then i put a nice little song it's a it's a muppet song so i'm pleasantly surprised every day when it plays actually
1: you know i was going to say that kind of double alarm idea is um fantastic and i I i use that all the time and in fact you were saying um you're surprised when it goes off and i completely agree but i also that's another reason why i i have to label my alarms because it'll go off and then i'm like why did i have that again Oh, I need to go pick up the children so that um, I am not neglecting them. Yes. So, so I don't leave them <laughs> at daycare or whatever. But I like that why um, that you mentioned
0: mm-hmm. because
1: your why is not mm-hmm. to go eat. Your why is because you want your husband to know I appreciate what you're doing for me.
0: Yeah, please keep cooking. <laughs> yeah.
1: Don't stop. See, the truth comes out. Though no, your why is
0: I don't want to make dinner. Yeah, My, the kids and I would be happy. We could live on cereal and breakfast products. Thank you so much for coming. I hope you consider coming back again.
1: This is the funnest. So yeah, like anytime you, anytime you want me.
0: I hope you've enjoyed today's show and would love to hear your thoughts. To get in touch, you can write me an email at ask at ADHD lifestyle. Dot com. Connect with me on my website, Instagram, and Facebook at ADHD Friendly Lifestyle, or Twitter at ADHDFL. Every episode has a website page with show notes, transcripts, next steps, resources, and articles related to the topic. To get these, visit ADHDFriendlyLifestyle.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the best way is to subscribe on the podcast player of your choice and by taking the time to rate and review it there. And here are other podcasts for your listening pleasure. On Hacking Your ADHD, Will Curb gives tips, tools, and insights. Brendan Mahan hosts ADHD Essentials, focusing on parenting and education. Thanks for listening. See you later.